the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. Our phone number, 602-508-0960. A ton to get to. Facebook, uh, Department of Justice going after things having to do with local education. We'll get to that in just a moment. There's a lot, COVID. Let's start in that second one. If I were to read you a memo from the Trump administration that said in recent months there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against conservatives who are participating in the vital work of maintaining such things as border and law and order. In that event, in light of this disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against police and law enforcement, it is worth the Department of Justice pointing out, while spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate those individuals based on their views. They run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to keeping our communities safe deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. Coordination and partnership with local law enforcement is critical to implement measures to ensure their safety. If Donald Trump or his attorney general, William Barr, had put out such a memo, it would have been called an impeachable offense. It would have been called a chilling effect on the First Amendment. But today's attorney general and today's administration did that with regard to people speaking up at board school board meetings. School board meetings. Merrick Garland writes, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education in a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. Coordination and partnership with local law enforcement is critical to implementing these measures for the benefit of our nation's nearly 14,000 public school districts. To this end, I am directing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, working with each United States attorney, to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal jurisdiction within 30 days of the issuance of this memorandum. The Department is steadfast in its commitment to protecting all people in the United States from violence, threats of violence, and other forms of intimidation and harassment. That's the last line of the Merrick Garland memo, and it ends on a lie. It's a lie. It's simply not true. 
The Department of Justice is steadfast in its commitment to protecting all people in the United States from violence, threats of violence, and other forms of intimidation and harassment. It's not a single Democrat in the Senate who thought that was true when Antifa and BLM were firebombing a federal courthouse in Oregon last year. Not one. Not one Democrat. They all went after William Barr for sending in federal agents to protect that federal courthouse. And when cops were being intimidated last year, did the Department of Justice did the Department of Justice say it was going to send the FBI in to inspect, coordinate and work with local police officials to investigate Antifa and Black Lives Matter? If it did, it would have been a violation of the First Amendment. We have this now from the Attorney General of the United States, who is weaponizing Federal Bureau of Investigation agents against parents who show up at school board meetings and challenge critical race theory, challenge COVID mitigation efforts, using the one thing they have at their disposal, the one thing, the petitioning of the government to redress their grievances showing up at a school board meeting. I don't know how many of you have done a deep dive into the history and origins of the First Amendment. But at its most basic level, and you get this you get this even in Norman Rockwell paintings, at its most basic level, free speech was protected around the notion of the town hall meeting. People showing up and airing their grievances. Airing their grievances. That's what a Republican form of government meant. That's what a democracy meant. You have the right to challenge your government officials. And for better or worse, and now it's mostly worse, when we're talking about school board meetings, we're talking about government officials. People on the payroll. None of this, none of this sentiment, protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. None of that has applied to people like Andy Ngo, who has tried to investigate Antifa and ends up in the hospital every time. None of it has applied to Democrats who deviate from the party line, like Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin, who have been intimidated for days on end. None of it. None of it is applied. What they're doing is they're going after you for challenging critical race theory. I have watched a lot of these school board meetings, mostly out of Loudoun County, but I've watched a lot of them. I have not seen threats of violence. I certainly haven't seen an invocation to imminent lawless action. What I have seen is parents frustrated that schools and school administrators dismiss them. That's what I've seen. What I've seen is a Democratic Party led by Terry McAuliffe running for governor in Virginia and by the Secretary of Education of the United States saying parents should not be first in charge of what's going on in the schools. 
they should not be the primary person whose views should be respected when it comes to the education of their children in the public schools. So the people in the school board meetings who don't agree with reinstituting racial consciousness, to put it no worse, and who don't agree with the COVID mitigation strategies of masking and vaccinating their children, where do you want them to go to air their opinions? Where do you want them to go to voice their grievances? If you're a Democrat, you want them basically to go to Hades. You want them not to have the right to do that. This is so far removed from any understanding of federal government versus national government, of federal role versus state role, of the freedom of speech, of the right to petition your government to redress your grievances. This is so far from anything a law professor or the Supreme Court would have thought possible 10 years ago that I don't have a word for it. I have no word for it. Sicking the FBI, sicking the FBI on people who dare raise their voice at school board meetings. Now, initially, someone might say, look, as long as you don't threaten violence, you don't have anything to worry about. Well, first of all, the problem with saying that is that's not the rule of incitement. That's not the rule First Amendment. You have to be guilty. You have to be found guilty of encouraging imminent lawless action. And it's a very high bar. Simply calling for violence doesn't do it. But who has called for violence? Who's called for violence? That is not the purpose of this directive from the Attorney General. Do you know what the purpose of the directive is? the attorney general is it's to chill speech to frighten people from speaking up to make them think twice about them wanting to air their grievances if they're a conservative lest they fall into the wide fishnet attorney general garland has promulgated i have a lot to say about this a lot more to say about this and we'll do it on the other side of this break. Meanwhile, we are at 602-508-0960. When people tell me they live in the country that used to be known as America, or when they talk about Ronald Reagan's warning that we someday may live in a country where people speak of America as a place where people were once free, this is how it starts. We want to uh, welcome back our uh, producer pro temp. Chris Llewellyn, thank you for joining us, Chris, Vice President of All Things Important. Love having you. We'll catch up a little bit more in a little bit. Bill will be back tomorrow. The latest dissemination from the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, who's dispatching the FBI to investigate people who speak up at school board meetings, It would have not only run afoul of the Trump administration and the Obama administration 
and every administration before it up until a certain point. And that probably goes back to Woodrow Wilson. For even the progressives, even the progressives at that time, in the early part of the 20th century, even they would have had no use for this direct assault on freedom of speech. Woodrow Wilson appointed Louis Brandeis to the Supreme Court. This college Brandeis is named after him in Massachusetts. In a famous free speech opinion, Brandeis wrote, Those who won our independence believed that the final end of the state was to make men free to develop their faculties and that in its government the liberative forces should prevail over the arbitrary. They valued liberty both as an ends and as a means. They believed liberty to be the secret of happiness and courage to be the secret of liberty. They believed that freedom to think as you will and to speak as you think are means indispensable to the discovery and spread of political truth, and that without free speech and assembly, discussion would be futile. But with them, discussion affords ordinary adequate protection against the dissemination of noxious doctrine, that the greatest menace to freedom is an inert people, that public discussion is a political duty, and that this should be a fundamental principle of the American government. They, our founders, recognized the risks to which all human institutions are subject, but they knew that order cannot be secured merely through fear of punishment for its infraction that it is hazardous to discourage thought, hope, and imagination, that fear breeds repression, that repression breeds hate, that hate menaces stable government, that the path of safety lies in the opportunity to discuss freely supposed grievances and supposed remedies, and that the fitting remedy for evil counsel is good counsel. Believing in the power of reason as applied through public discussion, they eschewed silence coerced by law, the argument of force in its worst form. They hated silence coerced by law. Louis Brandeis said that's the argument of force in its worst form. Recognizing the occasional tyrannies of governing majorities, they amended the Constitution so that free speech and assembly should be guaranteed. This is the one thing we have to protect us from a tyranny of the majority, speech and the petitioning of government. And it's not a test of truth, although I am happy to say that the truth when it comes to critical race theory is on our side. And I am happy to talk about the truth being on our side when it comes to forcing children to do things so that their parents and teachers don't fear them. Which is, to me, the only justification for masking and vaccine mandates for children. What else could it be? What else could it be? The vaccinated fully. The fully vaccinated have died at five times the rate of all children with or from COVID. What else could it be other than 
adults fearing children, to force them to do things that even when they do, takes their lives at greater numbers than children's by a factor of five. So I have no problem if we really want to test the valence of truth in these issues. I'd love to debate anyone on them. But Louis Brandeis, Louis Brandeis is getting to a more important point than any of that. Truth shouldn't be the diktat and measure of free speech. Truth comes, Brandeis tells us, from free speech. It's the only way to discover that a doctrine can be noxious. And now you have the FBI telling parents, if you show up and challenge your school board, you may be investigated. You may be investigated. It's an amazing move. And when you hear people struggle for words to describe it, it's because our thesaurus is worn out. It's threadbare. I was talking the other day about my experience, my discussion with my friend Jim about Anthony Fauci and funding research at the Wuhan lab, gain-of-function research. And he said, won't this be the biggest story of the year if proven true? It's mostly been proven true, and it sounds about as familiar to us now as a story as welfare reform. It's that distant. It's that distant from us. Just as the fiasco in Afghanistan is that distant from us, forgotten, We've moved on. Memory hold. Memory hold and forgotten that the three generals on point, from CENTCOM to the commander in forces in Afghanistan to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and including as a fourth the Secretary of Defense, all contradicted the commander in chief on the exit from Afghanistan. And the commander in chief lied about it. And they exposed the lie. Should have been the story of the year. Would have been impeachment in any other sane moment. Forgotten. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, under oath, telling a congressional committee he reads Mao and Lenin to understand the American people. Never mind that he was caught breaking chain of command and civilian control of the military by going around the president's back and calling counterparts in China about military maneuvers. All of this gone, forgotten, no activity not to be remembered. And thus it isn't. And thus it isn't. And this story, too, will just quietly be forgotten as the FBI and law enforcement slowly intimidate the general population from speaking up at school board meetings. Do you find it interesting of all the things to find violence in? That's where they went, school board meetings? 
you find it interesting just at the same time when conservatives are saying get active in the school boards? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with the great John Dabrowski, founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website and his show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. How are you, John? Fantastic. How are you doing? Uh, well, I was thinking of Move It On Over, uh, the song we were just listening to by George Thurgood, and I was thinking that's what yesterday's uh, uh, big yeah. boards <laughs> said to today's big boards. Move It On Over. Yeah, what a reversal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know surprising to see such a strong reversal of the today after yesterday's route, of, uh, especially of technology. We talked a little bit about that. You know, interest rates have something to do with this. We've, we've mentioned in the past here has interest rate rises, uh, the cost of borrowing increases for some of these growth companies out there. And a lot of these big tech companies are growth companies, and they utilize debt to leverage their companies to grow. And so uh, that was a bit of a challenge seeing that rate rise. But we saw a tremendous amount of uh, interest coming back into the technology, the mega-cap mega companies again, uh, the Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Facebook, and so forth. Even with the challenges that Facebook is facing right now with the testimony today from the whistleblower, we still saw, saw some real strength in that stock. So uh, it's interesting to see the dynamics that are happening right now, and I often encourage people out there not to react, you know, day-to-day to to the markets. You've got to look for trends that occur over time before you make decisions about uh, moves in your your portfolios. Now, you you money guys, you you economy guys are kind of interesting to me. And you come up with these things (laughs) to help me understand, because I was reading a story about the stock market recovery, and then I got this little sentence In here, they slipped in whoever this economics reporter was I was reading. It said, helping sentiment around the recovery, the Institute for Supply Management Services PMI report for September rose 61.9 from 61.7, two points better than expected. What's this ISM PMI stuff, John? Okay, so this is the... Nice try. I got you. Yeah. No, no, no. This is a report, obviously, talking about... Um, what's happening in the economy, right? So it's, a, it's, it's sort of a, a forward-looking uh, indicator okay. for what, what companies are doing in production uh, inside of manufacturing, right? So this is going to help us understand a little bit as to what's happening in the recovery, and that's what what is really uh, important here to try to understand. So they had an expectation of 61.7, or however they come up with those numbers, but it was higher than they expected, which was certainly good for um, uh, what they consider an uptick in the rate of expansion is what they said also for the month of September. But they still believe there's a lot of challenges out there, Seth. As we know, labor uh, shortages right now, it's difficult for companies to get people uh, to work. And uh, it creates problems for logistics. Materials are delayed. Uh, so they talked about the continuity of supply for these companies to be able to continue manufacturing, and that's what these numbers are all about. That's an interesting point, too, because I'm seeing, uh, John, you're covering the whole world here with me. This is great, because at the same time, I'm seeing reports that our trade deficit is widening as well, right? But this is this right. is interesting given supply chain issues, isn't it? Well, right. So if if our, if we're thinking we're, we're – 
actually uh, selling more overseas. Yeah. Uh, that's hard to believe, right? Because we can't get the, the supplies here. How are we selling overseas? Right. But we are noticing um, that we're buying more from overseas, which may be a good sign on the issue of supply chain, but a problem when we think about our balance, right? Our trade imbalance, right? Well, there's always going to be. Yeah. That's certainly a challenge. But of course, we're thinking now in the lines if it's very possible that with the potential tax increases that might be coming, we may start to see corporations begin to uh, push some of their manufacturing overseas again. And if that's the case, then we're going to be importing again a lot more than we're going to be exporting, yeah, right? Right. So, I mean, let's, let's uh, you know, we have to look at all of these factors. And these are things that we have to, as investment uh, professionals, to be able to make uh, decisions for our clients and where we need to be investing at certain times of uh you know, economic growth or contraction. What do we usually see, as it's hard to say, hard to believe we're already closing in on the last quarter of the year, what, what, do, we, what do we usually see with stocks this time of year? Or is it, are we in a period of time in our lives in America where all these predictions just have to be, have to, have to be kind of moderated and tempered to go along for well, steady we, strains? We always try to look at the statistics, what happened in the past, Seth, and we, we try to do overlays on these to see if those things prove out to occur and repeat themselves. But the stock market is very fickle, and there's a lot going on right now. Uh, but traditionally, we start to look towards this fourth quarter to be strong, especially coming out of, out of the recession we had and then moving into you know, that potential Christmas rally, if we're going to really be able to get out there and buy things that we want for Christmas. But there could be some shortages out there. So there could be some real challenges for some of these retail companies. Thank you, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finland, Sipic, and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Much appreciated, brother. Thank you. And more. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Listener, Hal says, Seth, what to call what is happening? Some, like Rod Dreher, are calling it soft despotism. What are your thoughts? What do we, what do we call the times we are living in? And I said, well, we'll throw it out to the smartest people in the world, this audience. What do you call this? I said to Hal, I, said to Hal, I think it's increasingly hard despotism. It's, it's, it's difficult to call it a soft despotism. When you're chilling speech with the threat of an FBI investigation for speaking up at your child's school board meeting on behalf of your children and their education and mental health. That's, that's, that's the interesting thing. We talk about this in a vacuum. Who are the people and what is motivating the people to go to these school board meetings? It's basically two things. Their children's mental and social health. And the theory of non-discrimination. That's what they're going for. They're there to talk about mitigation, COVID mitigation efforts that don't make any scientific or rational sense. And they're talking about curricula, which is decided at school board meetings. And you have the federal government saying we're going to take those issues right off the table. School boards can have the public meet, just don't talk about COVID or curriculum. William Bennett talked about the three C's of education, the three things that make edu- that you have to think about when you, when you talk education. He calls it the three C's, content, character, and choice. The left is now banning from discussion at school board meetings curriculum, 
and COVID. That is to say, social and mental health, including physical health, and racism. People should have a right to go to a school board meeting and invoke the 1964 Civil Rights Act. They should have a right to go to a public forum in this country and speak up on behalf of no discrimination based on race or ethnicity or gender. They should have that right. You would think liberals would understand that. Maybe liberals do. Maybe they don't exist. Leftists understand it. That's why they are trying to stop it. So when people say, well, Merrick Garland, as they did in January, well, Merrick Garland, that's pretty good. That's pretty moderate. It's the same thing they said about Joe Biden. If there are moderates in the Democratic Party, I don't know who they are outside of literally three people. And that's weird. It's weird. Or it's something we have to take extremely seriously. Richard is in Phoenix. Hello, sir. Seth, excellent program. Thank, Thank you for bringing up the subject. Thank you. Um, for at least 20 years, I've been working intimately with FBI agents. It's my line of work. I'm intimately familiar with how investigations are conducted. Let's let's understand something. Anyone who is within the scope of that order is now has something to fear. That's right. It's a, we used to call it a chilling effect, right? It's uh, yeah, it's chilling. It's worse. Yeah. Um, the way it, the investigations work, uh, the investigators do, uh, look for suspects. Uh, they they search for evidence to find suspects liable. They have basically a portfolio. They have an allegation. They go out to prove it. They do not ever look for exonerating or favorable evidence. Okay, I've been there. I'm on the inside. I know this. Oh yeah, uh, it, <laughs> that's why they didn't take Hunter Biden's laptop from Giuliani's office, right? Home, the, right? The yeah. Yeah. yeah, the sole exception of this is when you know crazy people call in and say there's Martians in their backyard. Yeah, yeah, Other yeah, than yeah. that, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, what, what, what people have to understand is number one, you do not have to talk to any FBI agent ever, ever. You are not required. To, I don't care how many badges and guns they show you. Number two, um, people should not talk to the FBI agents. They shouldn't talk to them. Give the name. That's it. You're not talking. It doesn't matter if you think you're guilty or not. Nothing about that. If you have anything to do with these subjects, say nothing, and you're allowed to say nothing. And let me tell you why you need to. You may know this already, Seth, but to Title 18 of the United States Code, 18 U.S.C. 1001, you know what it says. It says that if you uh, say something to an FBI agent, it doesn't have to be under oath. You say it to any kind of federal investigator, any, and they think you've falsified or concealed something, you haven't told them something, um, or if you've made a, a statement that they think is materially false, whatever the hell that means, um, you can be now taken down to the assistant U.S. attorney, and they get an indictment under Section 1001. You're now facing a felony. The way that— By the way, can, I think uh, it's subject to almost 10 years imprisonment, I think. Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what okay. it is. It's five years. Okay. Um, except that Merrick Garland made it worse. Why? Because he said that that's domestic terrorism. Well, that that's gets you. You're closer to, to 10, right? Yeah, right. Then it's eight, yeah, for each each count. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so people need to understand that. And there's a whole lot of us that are involved in uh, fighting uh, CRT, and uh, and also who are resisting the. It is a fascist mandate. It's the actual use of the term is correct. A fascist mandate for the vaccine. Um, those of us in that business 
you somebody knocks on your door, don't answer it. If you open, open the door, you don't answer any questions. You close the door. You don't invite them in. I don't care if it's raining or sweaty outside. You must not cooperate with FBI agents. I'm telling you that from the inside. I know it. I've been there. I'm still there. Richard, um, I hope you'll stay close and call in as often as you would like to help us through these things and deal with them. But you can imagine how scary this might be to someone um, who knows what they're doing and talking about, like some of these people showing up at these scoreboard meetings, particularly in Loudoun County. You know, someone like Asra Nomani, she's become the face of a lot of this. She's been called a domestic terrorist. She is not. I've known her for years. She's the opposite of terrorist. She's actually part of, you know, the Muslim reform movement also. That's how, that's how I knew her. But you can imagine a parent goes, challenges the orthodoxy on CRT, they probably have a lot of good books in their personal library. They've probably done a lot of reading. You can imagine how quickly this becomes pretty much Fahrenheit 451 very fast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, it just cannot be, it cannot be ignored. Um, when I saw that, I was so astounded. I would never have believed that there's a whole ton of people uh, inside and outside the Bureau and other federal agencies who are as- astonished, astounded, and sickened that their agency has now become the uh, basically the arm of some sort of thought police. It's not an exaggeration now that we have it in black and white. We were talking about it before as a hypothetical or as a maybe or as a deduction from the facts. Now we have it in black and white. What more do you need? I can't improve on what you just said, Richard. Stay close. Thank you for your work. No, thank you for yours. Yeah. Steve is in Tempe. Hello, Steve. Hi, Seth. Yeah, thought police, that's a, that's a good word, and I think that's accurate to what's going on. And Seth, let me ask you, I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that what's going on right now is really, really different than anything else that's gone on? I mean, just the climate and what's being proposed from the White House down, This, this these are just really disturbing times. And... As it relates to the FBI, I mean, you look at look at who was heading it up for a considerable period of time. James Comey and the CIA with Brennan and State Department with so many individuals from the top that, that have... Let me hold that thought with you, Steve, just as I take a quick break. We'll pick up on it in a moment. We'll drive back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Steve, you're uh, calling in on the um, FBI Merrick Garland school board issue. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, yeah, Steph, thank you. I, and I know I've got a limited amount of time, but I mean, You're I, fine. you know, we, we could sit here and wring our hands and, you know, say, wow, this corruption's happened. We, we know it's, we know there's a number of individuals within these institutions that have, that have since gone, but, but there are a number of them internally that are still continuing on what, what the corruption that these guys started. I'm talking about Brennan, I'm talking about Comey. And I'm talking about a number of individuals, the current one especially, that have headed up the State Department. And I heard a solution, Seth, that, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's going to be a big deal if it ever happens. But I think it's the only way to really um, clean out these organizations to work again justly. And, and that's to, to relocate those departments out of Washington. I mean, what I heard is, you know, and again, this is the best solution that I've heard is that why are these institutions 
Why do they have to be within Washington, D.C.? Why can't we move the State Department to Kansas City, Missouri? Why can't we move the FBI to to uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina? I mean, um, they really need, I mean, we've, we've talked about cleaning house. I think re- that's really the only way to do it because by moving the departments right now yeah and the people that are in there and the people that have that have done their damage to these institutions you know it's significant we're seeing the results of that right now yeah and do, do you think moving them solves it though I, I do because um i'm Seth, i'm i'm in the commercial real estate yeah, yeah. business yeah. and when you move when you move an office from one city to another and you're you know, filling them with entirely new employees, and there's new, new uh, functions within the within the within the office within the within the corporation, and you have new people heading things up, and you're reorganizing things. It makes a difference, and I really think that's the the best solution to taking care of it. If a new president coming in would be able to well, until we get a new president, and I, I'm open to the thoughts, Steve. I have my own reservations, uh, which I can go into in depth, having to do with things I've learned over issues of local control and thinking that would solve a problem. And we can go into that. But until the no- next president, we have the next election cycle. And if we put enough Republicans in Congress and in the Senate, I would impeach every one of these SOBs. I really would. And I'm pardon my French. I'm sorry for violation of the First Amendment. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.